1 Kings chapter 13. We're going to pray, uh, and then we're going to jump right in here. Let's bow our heads. Father, we do thank you, Lord, tonight for uh, all of your words. Lord, thank you for the Bible, for a wonderfully accurate translation of, of your preserved words, your words. Lord, as we look tonight at this account of Jeroboam and uh, you at work uh, in the north, I, I pray, Lord, tonight that we be reminded, that we be reminded again that it's, it's possible to stray from you. And, and, Lord, it's possible to reject warnings and, and to reject counsel and, and to reject an impassioned plea to return back to you. Lord, help us to be people who stand guard against uh, spiritual uh, adultery in our lives. Lord, help us. Father, I love you tonight. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Look here, verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1. The Bible says, Behold, there came a man of God. He's called this a number of times. We don't know his name, but he's a man of God. That's all we need to know. Uh, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord. So it's made clear uh, that this man is, is being sent by the Lord. Uh, by the word of the Lord. He's being sent by the Lord who has uh, directed him, chosen him, and directed him. Brother Art, no doubt, he's going. He's gone in God's strength uh, from Judah in the south up to Israel in the north uh, to Bethel, this place of false worship established by, uh, sadly, wicked Jeroboam. Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. So uh, this man from the south who's sent by God arrives in the, in the north uh, and as he arrives, there, there's Jeroboam uh, conducting false worship uh, at the false altar. He's led the people into this uh, falsehood, the, these lies, this false religion, uh, this idolatry. And here he is leading it himself. And this man from the south, this man of God arrives on the scene just as this uh, is happening. And he begins to prophesy. Uh, he begins to give forth the words of God that God has given him to deliver. Verse 2, and he cried against the altar. Uh, he prophesied or, or cried against uh, the altar, this false altar at Bethel, in the word of the Lord, as God gave him words, as God gave him strength, uh, and said, uh, he addresses the altar sort of uh, poetically. He says, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. Rich, is he literally addressing the altar as or maybe is it more of a poetic sort of uh, tool here? Uh, and he's really mo probably more literally addressing Jeroboam, right? Uh, but he's addressing the altar here poetically. O altar, O altar, thus saith the Lord. Behold, and he gives a prophecy here. Uh, a child shall be born unto the house of David. He gives him a name, Josiah, uh, by name. Uh, and upon the altar shall he offers, very interesting, the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee. He's talking to the altar. Uh, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. Uh, so he comes and he prophesies that uh, at this spot, at, at this uh, false altar, this, this place of idolatrous worship, uh, their, their falsehoods are going to be desecrated as uh, this man, Josiah, who you probably know some things about, uh, is, is going to come and the bones 
uh, evidently of the false priests of Bethel uh, are going to be burned upon this altar. Now, uh, no doubt that is a picture, that is a symbol of God's displeasure uh, and his intention to pour judgment out um, uh, as a response to uh, this false worship uh, that, that's going on here. Uh, is there ever a case where God will be happy with idolatry or false worship, church? Is there ever a case where he could be pleased with that? No, none. Uh, no, no possibility of that. We see that here. God is not at all happy about this. This is overt idolatry, false worship, uh, set up a, a, as a counterfeit of what he has prescribed, what he desires. And I think we've talked a little bit here in the past several messages about how uh, this idea that so many of the false religions, so many of the kind of the pseudo-Christian cults, if you look at them, uh, they're, they're corruptions of the truth. This is a, this is a demonic idea that we see Josiah, uh, forgive me, Jeroboam, implementing here. Uh, no doubt it, it's fueled by, by demonic thinking and demonism. Uh, and as is so, so much of the false religion, uh, perhaps all of it that we see uh, in the world today, uh, demonic corruptions of the truth uh, and, and the truth that God desires. Now, there's a couple, well, there's a lot of interesting observations we could make from verse 2, but a couple of things uh, to note here. Uh, Josiah being prophesied by name. You don't see that an awful lot in the Bible, right? Uh, you, see, you see prophecies of, of places and, and, and events, but you don't see a lot of examples of uh, some future person coming uh, and, and being named. Of course, uh, Christ is given various names with prophecies uh, regarding him, but there's really only four people in Scripture uh, other than the Lord and titles that are given to Christ that are prophesied by a name. Uh, Josiah is one of them. Isaac is one of them. Cyrus is one of them. John the Baptist uh, is one of them. These were all foretold by name. So there's something uh, pretty special about this prophecy uh, of Josiah. There's something pretty special about the, the nature of the prophecy here. It's something very unique. This uh, place of false worship that would be desecrated uh, with the very bones, evidently, of the priests who carry out this false worship. Uh, this, is, this is prophesied. Uh, and then later on, we'll see uh, about 350 years later, that prophecy uh, was fulfilled. We'll see that in 2 Kings 23. If you want to make a note uh, in your Bible or in your notes, 2 Kings 23 verses uh, 15 and 16, you have a, a very literal, very specific fulfillment of this prophecy. God was displeased, and he would let this go on for a time, uh, but not forever, and he has uh, ordained and designed this, this specific way to express his displeasure uh, and ultimately to put down uh, this false worship. Now, uh, Jeroboam is probably thinking, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I hear what you're saying, but uh, why are you here? You know, we're, we're doing our thing. You do your thing, Brother Art. That kind of be the attitude of the world today, right? You have youth, your thing, your beliefs, your faith. Listen, we're doing our thing. We're, we're doing what's good for us. He'd be inclined to try to ignore this uh, and, and just put it off. But uh, God, God will not have that. Uh, God, God will not have this prophecy to be ignored 
uh, by Jeroboam. And he has this prophet, the man of God, to continue uh, to, to give a, a little bit more detail here. Verse 3, he gave a sign the same day saying, this is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Not me, but the Lord. I'm the, I'm the messenger. He says, behold, the altar shall be rent. What does that mean, Rich? It'll be rent. Broken or, or torn, broke, broken in half. It's not going to be rented out, right? But, but like, like the, where else do we think of that word being used? The, the curtain in the temple, right? Uh, when, when Christ was uh, crucified upon the cross, the, the curtain was rent, uh, visually symbolizing that uh, man now had free access to uh, the Lord uh, through, through uh, the sacrifice of, of Christ, God the Son. Uh, same word is, is, is used here, torn or rent. He says, yeah, I got another sign for you here. Uh, the Lord hath spoken, behold, the altar shall be rent. This false altar is going to be broken in half, uh, and the ashes uh, that are upon it shall be uh, poured out. Uh, that did happen, by the way. That did happen. That is recorded. Uh, Jeroboam is, you know, he's not impressed, not convinced, uh, or at least he's not willing to admit that. Verse 4, it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard these sayings of the man of God, uh, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, uh, he, Jeroboam, put forth his hand from the altar saying, lay hold on him. He doesn't want to hear it. Uh, he doesn't want to let this man continue. Uh, he, he doesn't want to hear, and he's probably convicted, don't you think? He knows uh, who the Lord is. He knows what right worship is uh, in God's eyes. There must be some conviction uh, in his heart that what he's doing is, is profoundly wrong. Uh, and so he says, lay hold on him. Uh, take him. Take him into custody. I don't want to hear it. I don't want anyone to hear it. Uh, this be the inclination of someone under uh, conviction. Don't want to hear it. Don't stop. Don't just stop. Lay hold on him. Uh, in his hand, uh, which he put forth against him, what did his hand do, church? What are the next two words? It dried up. It withered. Uh, his hand dried up so that he could not pull it in again uh, to himself. His, his hand just withered up. Uh, it dried up, it withered up, it crinkled up, it became uh, unusable, and, and evidently that happened uh, just in a moment. It, it didn't take time. He didn't get sick. He didn't, you know, go home and start, he noticed a little something there, and then uh, over the next several days or the next several weeks, the hand just became unusable and started to look strange. No, this was something that evidently uh, happens uh, in a moment. Uh, what's, what's going on here? Well, look at verse 5. The altar also was what? Rent, just like that. <laughs> the man of God who gave forth the words of God, who said, hey, God has a sign for you. This, this altar, the, the Lord himself, he, he's going to break it. He's going to break it in half. The altar also was rent and the ashes poured out from the altar, just as he said, according to the sign uh, which the man of God hath given by uh, the word of the Lord. This man from the south, this man of God, all he did is come, I'm sure very humbly, uh, and, and give forth the message. By the way, he came humbly, but what else do you think would have been required on his part 
uh, to go marching up north and approach King Jeroboam. Uh, we don't know really much about this man other than the fact that he's been faithful to do what God said, to go where God sent him and to say what God told him to say. Uh, but he's, he's got to go up and approach King Jeroboam uh, and, and give forth this message, which would be very offensive to Jeroboam. Zach, what would that take? That, it would take a whole bunch of courage, wouldn't it? Because uh, there was risk in that, right? Uh, and sure enough, Jeroboam said, lay hold on him, ar arrest that man. Uh, it would have taken a fair amount of courage. Well, let me ask you tonight, does it ever take courage? Does it ever require courage to be obedient to the Lord? Does it? Oh, absolutely it does. Uh, absolutely it does. Sometimes we're afraid to be obedient. Sometimes we're afraid to obey. Guys, give me a couple reasons that we wrestle with. Gary, what would be a reason that I might naturally be afraid to, to obey the Lord publicly? You got one? You, you, we don't want to offend people. That, that's one. Uh, anybody got, guys, you got another one? Zach? It's not a lucrative thing. It, it, it may not promote uh, how people see me and value me. It might harm my, my, my secular well-being, my, my career. People might look down, right, that, that sort of thing. Is that what you're thinking? Uh, yeah, there, there could be that. Um, uh, we fear what people will think and what they will do. We fear negative repercussions uh, for uh, acting uh, godly. Uh, that's a natural fear. It's, it's a thing that I, I believe is probably common to all of us to varying degrees. Uh, what can you do uh, if you find yourself struggling with uh, fear and anxiety about God's call to public obedience in some part of your life? What can you do? You can yield to him, Brother Gary. Thank you. You pray. God, hey, you know I'm afraid. <laughs> Lord, you, I, I know you've called me to fear nothing but you. I know there really isn't anything to be afraid of. Uh, but sure enough, here I am in the flesh struggling with fear. Uh, Lord, help me to yield to you. And, and, and Lord, I'm, I'm bringing this fear to you uh, with thanksgiving. Thank you that I can. Lord, give me, uh, help me to put off the fear, to put on peace. And Lord, you give me strength uh, and courage to obey you publicly. Um, God has given a very visible symbol to Jeroboam uh, through this man of God. Hey, God is displeased. He wants you to know uh, that he is displeased and he intends to deal with this. He's rent this false altar. Look at verse 6. The king answered uh, and said unto the man of God, uh, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God. <coughs> he said, it's interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, the Lord your God. The Lord thy God. He didn't say our God. He's not been worshiping the Lord. He, the man of God, Jeroboam says to the man of God, you, you pray to uh, the Lord thy God, your God. Pray for me uh, that my hand may be restored me again. Uh, and the man of God, the man of God besought the Lord. Now, <laughs> that's interesting. He calls the Lord, not his God, but the man's God. Uh, and yet he wants the man to pray to the Lord, the man's God. Why? Why? He doesn't call the Lord his God. He's worshiping some other made-up gods. 
uh, up at Bethel, why, why in the world would he want this man to pray to the Lord, Brother Gary? Why would he want that? Not worshiping the Lord. Why, why, why wouldn't he pray to his own God? Yeah. Well, I think this, this Zach, you have a thought? Yeah, he's just seen the power of this man's God, <laughs> who is the Lord. He's just seen this very visible uh, demonstration of the Lord's power. This man comes saying, hey, the Lord has sent me with a message for you. Uh, the Lord intends to rent this, temp this uh, altar, uh, and sure enough, he did. Uh, and the Lord has obviously withered Jeroboam's hand also. Uh, he's seen a very powerful demonstration, which would be a reminder, hey, you know, we're worshiping these false gods up here at Bethel, but sure enough, there's one true God, uh, and he's the Lord. And even though he's sort of cowering, doesn't want to acknowledge that the Lord is the Lord, the one true God, he says, hey, uh, I need you to pray for me that we take care of this problem here. Uh, look at the middle of, of verse 6. The king's hand was what? restored him again uh, and became as it was before. By the way, there's no suggestion that it took any time at all. It didn't need to heal uh, over a period of time. The, the language the, in, in the context makes it pretty clear. The Lord withered his hand in, in a moment, uh, and when the man of God from Judah prayed, the Lord healed his hand uh, in a moment. Is that a miracle? Is that a miracle? One man observes this is the 30th, he's counted them, 30th uh, miracle uh, in the Old Testament. Scripture is just filled uh, with miracles. Miracles that demonstrate God's what, guys? What? What, what? what do miracles demonstrate about the Lord? His power. Art, do you have something else? Miracles demonstrate the Lord's power. Is there, is there anything else that you think of? His love for us. Uh, amen. Uh, his power, his, his love for us. Uh, he's sovereign, uh, he, his faithfulness, uh, anything else, his omnipotence, uh, all, all of those things. He's, he's, he's a God of, of all of these things. He's able to do what he chooses to do. He's, he's able to make promises and keep promises. There's nothing beyond his power. There's nothing beyond his control. Can anybody here wither someone's hand in a moment and then heal it in a moment? Anybody? Brother, can you do that? I, I'm, I'm glad you can't, sir. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord can. <laughs> the Lord can. By the way, he can still heal when he chooses to. Amen? He can still heal when he chooses to. Uh, I believe the Lord is still very much in the miraculous healing business when he chooses to. He does not always choose to. He has his purposes uh, in that choice. But certainly he can uh, and he does when he chooses to. Uh, let's move on here. Um, this prophet, uh, in obedience to the Lord, refuses any kind of fellowship with or reward from Jeroboam or people in the north. Uh, he, he gives a testimony. The Lord said, hey, don't, don't fellowship, don't eat, don't drink with those people. Just go and do your business and then get back home. He said, take another way home, but, but get back home. Don't, don't fellowship up there. Uh, look at verse 7. The king said unto the man of God, Come home with me uh, and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. Jeroboam offers him a reward. 
that would have been tempting. Zach, of a financial reward, that would be tempting, right? Uh, Jeroboam uh, has perhaps been convinced of some things that he acknowledges he needed to be convinced of, and he desires to reward this man. It would have been tempting to receive this reward, uh, and perhaps there'd be nothing wrong with it, except the Lord said, nuh-uh, just do your business and then get out of there. Verse 8, the man of God said unto the king, if thou will give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. He's not being rude. He's just being obedient to the Lord. He says, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. Verse 9, 4, so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, eat no bread, drink no water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. Don't linger. And don't, don't linger among these wicked people. Deliver the message. Get out of there. Verse 10, so he went another way uh, and returned not by the way that he came uh, to uh, Bethel. The Lord commanded him, uh, and he intended to obey the Lord, uh, and he gets out of there. Let's just stop and consider for one moment. Why might the Lord have commanded uh, this man from Judah to go and do his business and then get out of there? Uh, why might the Lord have commanded him to do that? We don't see the reason given, um, but we could maybe could guess. Any thoughts, guys? Zach? He, he might have been tempted to linger there. To what effect? To what outcome? He might have, he might have, you said that could be spiritually harmful. How? Yeah, you know, if, if he lingered there, there's the possibility that even though he's the prophet of God, man of God, sent from Judah by the Lord with God's message, and he was faithful to do that, there, there's a possibility that if he lingered there, he could be drawn into some degree of their falsehood. And if he could be drawn a little bit into that, uh, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, uh, he, he could be pulled away from the Lord into the system of idolatry. You look at that and say, well, that, that wouldn't happen. That, that couldn't happen. It looks like the whole, the whole north, it looks like 10 tribes have given themselves over to that kind of falsehood and, and idolatry. So to think that one more man couldn't be drawn, well, no, he could be drawn into that. If he, if he would linger there in the world, he could be drawn into uh, the world. Is there a principle there that might just be a warning for us today, uh, church? Uh, if, if you'll linger in the world, mixing up with the, the people of the world, the things of the world, uh, with their philosophies and, and their falsehood and their false religion, uh, are we at risk of getting pulled into that? Well, most certainly we are. The most dangerous thing is to think, no, I'm not at risk of that at all. No, we are at risk of that. This is why, uh, this is why the Lord says, wherefore, come out from among them, be, be ye separate, touch not the unclean thing. Uh, and that's the New Testament, 2 Corinthians, Paul talking to the Corinthian church uh, members who had come out of idolatry. And the Lord said, hey, you've got to stay separate from that. Uh, Lord will bless you for that, but if you don't stay separate from that, uh, you know, there, you, you, you're going to be corrected because Lord understands you could be drawn back into that. Uh, this past Sunday in James 4.4, 4, uh, we saw the Lord through James call the people, idol, uh, not idolaters, adulteresses, uh, adulterers and adulteresses, uh, those who committed spiritual idolatry 
through their close friendship with the world. He says, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Uh, the Lord has continued to warn his people about failure to separate from the world and its influence all through the Old Testament uh, and into and, and through the New Testament as well. Lord, help us to understand we, we've got to live in this world, but we're not of it. Again, church, we're pilgrims passing through this world uh, called to take great care that we are influencing it a whole lot more than it is influencing us. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to be in the business of influencing it more than we allow it to influence us. Well, there's a, there's a test or a trial in view here now, I think. Uh, there is an older prophet in the north, a false prophet, no doubt, uh, who desires to have this man of God from the south uh, to come back, to linger, to stay. Um, Verse 11, now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. Their father said unto them, verse 12, um, what way went he? Where'd he go? Uh, for his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon. And went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak, under a tree. Said unto him, Art thou the man of God that came from Judah? And he said, Yep, I am. Uh, I am. Verse 15, Then said he, the old prophet of Bethel, unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. You know, fellow prophet, come on home with me and eat bread. He said, the man of God from Judah said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, thou shalt eat no, no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. Verse 18, he, the old prophet of Bethel, said unto him, I'm a prophet also as thou art. An angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. Yeah, an angel. The Lord said to me, I'm a prophet too. Come on back. The Lord, the Lord desires that. What does the Bible record as the last sentence of verse 18? But he lied unto him. He, he, did you have a thought? Something sinister was going on there. Rich said there's no doubt about that. I agree with you. What do you think is going on there? Do you have a thought about that? Yeah, who do you think might be behind that? Do you have any thoughts about that? You threw your voice. <laughs> uh, Gary, do, do you think? I mean, th this man says, an angel spoke unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back. Now, he, the Bible does say he lied. The Bible does say that he, he specifically lied about that. Otherwise, we tempt to say, well, sure, an angel probably did speak to him, but we conclude that it would probably be a, a fallen angel, a demon. But in this case, the Bible says he, he lied unto him. That said, Rich, I would be tempted to agree with you. I would tend to agree with you. 
as what I meant to say, I would tend to agree with you that there is something sinister going on here. I think you, you can plainly see the enemy at work here uh, somehow trying to influence this false prophet to cause the true prophet of God, the man of God from Judah, uh, to disobey the Lord, to disobey the Lord. What would, be, what would, what would the enemy gain uh, if this man can be pulled away from the, his path of obedience? Could have been in collusion with Jeroboam, sure. Uh, sure. What to what effect or to what end? What might be their motivation? Do you have thoughts about that? What might be their motivation? Do you have a thought? Yeah, if he if he could be pulled out of that warning ministry and pulled into their garbage, uh, yeah, that takes him off the right team and pulls him onto their team, kind of one less voice to oppose them. Uh, yeah, perhaps. Uh, perhaps. There, I agree, there, there's something sinister going on here. There's, there's a spiritual battle here for sure. Uh, there, no doubt there's a spiritual battle that, that's being pictured here. There's two teams uh, on the playing field here. Uh, one is a false prophet lying to the true prophet, trying to pull that man uh, off course. We understand clearly there's a spiritual battle, uh, no, no less real than that that we are involved in today. Uh, the enemy wants to pull us off course. He wants to pull us away from the Lord. He can't change our salvation, uh, but he certainly can influence us out of a strong, close relationship with the Lord. That might ultimately result in our not serving the Lord, not taking the message of Salvation's Act, not being there to encourage each other in our spiritual growth, uh, to encourage us out of all the things, uh, the ministries that God has called us to. We're in a spiritual battle that's no less real uh, than what we see on the, on the pages here. Uh, are we on the winning team, church? Amen. Uh, must we give in to the other team as they oppose us? No, <laughs> no, we're on the winning team and uh, the power of temptation is broken. Yet, see verse 19. So uh, the man of God from Judah, he went back with him. Oh, he, he failed. <laughs> this, this man gave in uh, evidently to the temptation. He went back with him and did eat bread in his house uh, and, and drank water. Why do you suppose he did that? First of all, why would that be a temptation? Why would he be tempted to go to uh, this false prophet's home and eat and drink with him? Why would he do that? God said, nah, -uh, don't do that. Do your business, get out, go a different way, get home. Uh, he, he, but he ends up doing exactly what the Lord told him not to do. Why would that be a temptation? He wanted... He found it appealing in some way. Um, you, can you say more? Would you add anything to that? There'd be, he perceived there'd be some pleasure in that. There's pleasure in sin for a season. 
That's true. There is. There is pleasure for sin, in sin for a season. That's why it's tempting, right? So, Gary, I, I think you're right. He, he probably perceived some pleasure. Um, he, you know, it, it could be as simple as he's hungry and thirsty. You know, he's traveled some distance, some considerable distance. He's told to not eat or drink while he's there and to just get back home. Uh, he might be hungry and thirsty, and, and here's a guy offering him food who says, hey, you know what, I'm a prophet like you, and, and the Lord said you should come in uh, and eat and drink with me. So, okay, you know what, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, God said that, good, let's, let's do that. Um, what, what, which of the sort of three buckets of lust that John wrote about might that refer to? Lust of the flesh. Yeah, lust of the flesh. To choose to prioritize the lust of the flesh over the Lord might also then point to what? Which of the other buckets? Pride of life, maybe? It, it, it could just be that. Um, um, this man has presented himself as a, a fellow prophet, so that he's, a, he's presenting himself as a peer. Uh, there could be some peer pressure at work here. Uh, why is peer pressure so effective? Uh, why is peer pressure? Uh, younger guys, do your fellow students, your peers, ever pressure you to do things? I don't, you don't need to confess to any crimes tonight, but do, do, do you know people that will sometimes pressure you to do things that you know are wrong? Uh, probably. Good. If you don't have, you don't have people around you that try to pressure you to do things that are wrong, praise God. Sooner or later in life, most of us are going to encounter people that will pressure us to do things that, that we know are wrong. Um, Zach, when, when you're pressured by your peers to do something that is wrong, is that a, is that a comfortable situation or is it an uncomfortable situation? Hmm? Uncomfortable. And you can resolve that discomfort one of two ways, right? There's, there's one of two ways that you could resolve that discomfort. Uh, what are they? Give in or flee. Give in or get out, right? Uh, that it, it just seems like giving in is, is the easier thing so many times, doesn't it? Just in our, in our flesh, in, in our own nature, it just seems like giving in is, is, is the best way uh, to resolve that discomfort. If, if I try to resolve that discomfort by fleeing away, well, people might make fun of me. By the way, if I'm concerned about what people think of me more than what God thinks of me, what kind of, what kind of problem do I have? What kind of problem? I'm thinking of a P word. Maybe it's pride. Maybe, there, maybe there's a pride problem there. Um, do you think? Uh, I think. Uh, there could be simple peer pressure, and, and the easiest way to resolve that is just give in, particularly when he says, well, you know, the, the Lord said you, you should do this. Uh, you should do this. Have you ever been in a... Go ahead. Well, I want to ask a question about verse 11. Yep. I think it's entirely possible, Rich, that he may have been a genuine prophet at some point. Uh, it's pretty clear that he's been co-opted by Jeroboam and kind of brought into Jeroboam's 
uh, new system. We, we also see here in a minute that the Lord does speak through this older man uh, and deliver a message to the man of God from Judah. Let's see that. Let's see that. It came to pass, verse 20, uh, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. So the word of the Lord came to the old prophet of Bethel. He's the one that brought the man of God from Judah back into Bethel, right? Uh, and, and so God is going to use this man who, Rich, to your point, maybe this is the answer to your question, kind of implies that the Lord has some history with this man. Uh, he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, this is God's message given to the man of God from Judah through the old prophet of Bethel. Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. You're going to die uh, away from home and not be buried uh, with your ancestors. The Lord pronounces a great consequence to the man of God from Judah for his disobedience. Uh, he disobeyed the Lord. He knew he was disobeying the Lord. Zach, he, he had a reason, right? He, he would have had an explanation. Well, this man said he heard from the Lord, or I was hungry, or, or there was peer pressure, or whatever other explanation he offered. Uh, explanations are not excuses. Amen? There's always an explanation for sin, but they never, they never total up to a valid excuse for sin. And God says, listen, you, you have explanations all day long, but you've still chosen to disobey me, and there's going to be a consequence for them. Remember, sin always has consequences. It always has consequences. Here's the consequence. It came to pass, verse 23, after he'd eaten bread and after he'd drunk, that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, when he was gone, a what met him in the way? What is it? A lion. A lion met the man of God from Judah by the way, by the road, and what did it do? And it killed him, slew him. Uh, and his carcass was cast in the way. The lion killed him and tossed him in the road. The ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. So picture this. Here's the lion, the ass, the donkey, uh, and, and man sta standing there in the road. Behold, Verse 25, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it uh, in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Um, lion killed this man. Uh, isn't there something unusual about this, though? Uh, lion killed this man. Uh, but is, is there anything unusual? Didn't eat him. Did you say that? Uh, you say that? Isn't that unusual? Lions will kill, I, I think, typically because they're hungry, right? They may feel threatened by something, but typically they're going to kill because they're hungry, and then they're going to eat what they've killed. Uh, that didn't happen. And is, is there another uh, easy target here for the lion, too? 
The ass would be a pretty easy target, right? This is a nice, big, slow-moving animal who probably be, no, definitely would be a pretty easy target, but he's not attacked, he's not eaten. They're just standing there. The lion, the ass, and, and the carcass of the man in the road here. Uh, one man says this was clearly divine judgment, and that that fact is shown in the, the lion did not attack the donkey. <laughs> the lion might have more likely, naturally, would have attacked the donkey, but he attacks the man, doesn't eat him, just throws him in the road. It pretty plainly shows that this is the Lord working supernaturally to demonstrate this principle of consequences for sin. This is the sovereign working of God to judge sin and to put that judgment on display, no doubt as a warning to others in Bethel who were actively involved in the sin of idolatry, spiritual adultery, day in and day out. Uh, God wants this to be seen. He wants this consequence, no doubt, to be seen. Verse 26, when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion. He knew that. He saw that. Which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. He spake to his son, saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him. He went and found his carcass cast in the way. The ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. Prophet took up the carcass of the man of God, laid it upon the ass, and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. He laid his carcass in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother, it came to pass after he had buried him, that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me, in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried, lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. Shall surely come to pass. He understood. He understood that all that had been prophesied would come to pass. And he said, you know what, you just, you just put me next to him, my bones next to him. I, I, I know what's, what's coming for my bones. Now, Zach, going back to the beginning, we, we said, hey, the Lord clearly had a message for Jeroboam in all of this. Sin has consequences. Your altar has been torn. Your hand has been withered. Your prophet prayed to the Lord and your hand was healed. Here's one man of God who disobeyed God in one thing on one day and who suffered great consequences uh, of the Lord for his disobedience. Pretty clearly the Lord wanted Jeroboam to understand, to be reminded that his sin against the one true Lord had consequences. If he would not get right with God, his sin would have consequences also. And yet, verse 33 says, after this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way. He was not corrected by any of this, but made again of the lowest of the people, priests of the high places, chose wrong people to be false priests in his uh, ungodly, disobedient system of religion. 
Whosoever would, he consecrated him. And, and he, that man, became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin under the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth, period. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you're Jeroboam, and praise God you're not, but if you're Jeroboam, how could you not be corrected by what you've seen here? How could you not be corrected? Uh, what would have had to have been going on in his heart for him not to be corrected after seeing all of this? Any thoughts, guys? Any thoughts? Any thoughts? He didn't want to know the truth. He didn't want, what, you, what else did you say? He did not want to know the truth. He wanted to believe whatever he chose to believe. Uh, yeah, amen. He has made his decision to turn from the Lord to a false system of worship. Um, he's, he's seen the power of God. He's experienced the power of prayer to the Lord. And yet, at the end of this series of events, he's chosen willfully to reject the Lord. He's dug in against the God of hosts, the Lord God, the one and only God. He's absolutely dug in against the truth and against uh, the power of God. Listen, you, you probably uh, have met people, maybe you can think of someone today who's just dug in against the Lord. I mean, they are, they're just dug in. No matter what you say, no matter what they see, no matter what testimonies they hear, nothing seems to move them. They will not consider the Lord. They are dug in. <laughs> that was you. Yeah. And Gary, I know people were praying for you for years and praying and praying and praying. Marilyn Art come and say, pray, pray for Art's brother. Pray for Gary. And we did. And here you are, not just here, but serving the Lord tonight. Um, is, is prayer powerful? Is prayer powerful? Uh, praise God. Uh, praise God. This man's dug in. He experienced the power of prayer and, and chose uh, to stay dug in. That's a choice. Is it a good choice? That's, it's not a good choice to stay dug in against the Lord. Um, certainly not. Now, people can choose that. Um, but we can pray. And prayer does change things. I just want to encourage you tonight that... Um, God is able and willing to demonstrate his power to people in response to prayer. He did that here in this passage. And Brother R, I believe he's still very much in that business. The Lord is able and willing to demonstrate that he is, that he is the one true God, and that he is everything that he presents himself, everything that he reveals himself to be in his word. And he does that in response to prayer. Um, you, the person who sees the Lord in response to our prayer, they have a choice about how to respond. But you, you just know, well, there's a man tonight. 
you know that sometimes, sometimes a person is moved to say, yep, the Lord is real and I need him and I'm going to turn to him or turn back to him. There's an example. Other times people choose, like Jeroboam, to remain dug in against the Lord. That's their choice. That's their choice. Let's not be discouraged by that. Let's be encouraged by the fact that the Lord does reveal himself to people who are dug in against him in response to our prayer. And sometimes they respond by turning to the Lord. Uh, let's pray that. Let's pray that. Can you think of, a, of an amazing answer to prayer that, that um, something you've prayed about and it was a big thing and, and God answered it? I'm not going to call on you tonight, but, but can you think of something? Can you think of something? You can, right? Lord, help us not forget the huge answers to prayer. I've seen God respond and, and work in our church even recently uh, in the hearts of people in the most profoundly supernatural way and I marvel at it God is still very much in the business of revealing himself to his people in the most profoundly most powerful most supernatural way and sometimes people respond to him just exactly as he desires uh, is that true and that so so we want to be a lot more careful about praying, praying, praying that the Lord would do just that. Let's take a moment and do just that. Father, thank you, uh, Lord, tonight that you're a, a God of unlimited power. You're a God of uh, great strength. You're a God of, of great glory. You're a God whose um, sovereignty has no limit. You're a God whose knowledge and strength and power and might is absolutely, completely unlimited. Lord, tonight I thank you for being a God who does work in hearts. Lord, you've worked in our hearts. You've revealed yourself to us. You've given us faith and caused us to turn, uh, Lord, and to place that very faith upon Christ. Lord, I pray tonight that you do the same for people around us, for people in our lives. Lord, I pray tonight that you would move us uh, to pray 